This is the Cop Think Podcast, where we answer the question, why do the police do what they do? I'm the host, Brian Casey, and my guest is Roxanne Pritchard, who is a professor of psychology and neuroscience at the University of St. Thomas. And uh, our topic of conversation is going to be sleep. Hello, Roxanne. Thank you for traveling in this weather. Oh, thanks for having me. I always love to talk about sleep. Really? I do. Why is that? It's because it's something that everybody does. Everybody has questions about. It's kind of a big mystery why humans need to do this thing where we're so vulnerable and so kind of disconnected from from the world every day. So people love to talk about sleep. That's cool. Uh, And we're vulnerable. I haven't heard that term applied to sleep. I know why I think you apply it to it, but why do you? Well, I mean, just from a evolutionary standpoint, when you are sleeping, you're not protecting your young, you're not eating, you're not hunting, you're just sort of easily ambushed, I guess. That's interesting. Is it true that birds... um sleep like on one side of their brain and yes the yes it's completely true and I was very lucky to do graduate work with Niels Rottenberg who is the um, lead researcher he's now at the Max Planck Institute in Germany who did that study yep so really? birds can sleep with one side of the brain and one eye open um, we haven't evolved to do that no although there was a DARPA defense agency research project grant I was a part of where we were using that as a model to see if you can get fighter pilots awake for a week straight without consequence oh I bet they were crabby and we just worked on rats and birds <laughs> rats that were fighter pilots no, no, no. so it was um, no, <laughs> there's a big leap from the research model to application oh, in this one it. and I think we kind of knew that that uh, that was never going to work in humans huh Speaking of evolving, one of the things I know about uh, sleep, and I, I've learned quite a bit about it from t- talking with you uh, and researching my book, but we have, we've evolved to like store energy in the form of fat, but we can't store sleep. That's true. That's true. We can, we can bank sleep a little bit and take a little bit of a recovery nap, but basically that two-to-one ratio of two hours wake for one hour of sleep is pretty deeply encoded in how we work as humans like encoded like millions of years encoded yeah as far as we can tell yeah huh now the first time i met you i have a funny kind of a story about that (laughs) um i wanted to learn more about sleep for uh, our officers and uh i met with you at a coffee shop i noticed you didn't get any coffee that's maybe i don't know if that's related to this but um and i embarrassed myself a little bit because I talked about how I had this um, belief that I had throughout my public safety career been able to snap out of a stupor to uh, rise to the occasion you know say I was a little under rested or underslept and you and your colleague looked at each other and smirked in kind of a way that I recognize that (laughs) cops do when a drunk sloppy drunk says I've only had two beers and at first I was embarrassed and a little annoyed that I had been um, you know seduced by that thinking and I had been kind of the classic public safety worker that thought I can power through this or I can rise to the occasion and you just weren't buying it and in fact you were and at one point or another described how objectively that can be tested Right. And, and, and the research is so clear on that. I think we've grown accustomed to being perpetually exhausted. We lose the comparison to what it feels like to be really well rested and have that as a baseline. Well, I'm thinking, too, that cops just get used to feeling crappy, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. So um, what was that? You would describe to me something which I thought was a way to uh, maybe way that you could do this in a roll call or even am- amongst other cops where you could assess kind of some um, awake acuity or whatever with that yardstick. What oh, that right, about? right. So that was a simple reaction time test where um, you just drop a yardstick and see when you can test that. So when I work with whether it's athletes trying to improve their performance or with first responders, one of the um, tests we do is just a simple reaction test, like press a button when you see a flashing light. And you can see a pretty robust effect of accumulated sleepiness, and that just slows you down. And you know what? Well, yeah. isn't it, is it true then that um, not only that, is that we lose a little of our ability to assess our own 
Yes. Uh, like yeah. You almost like drinking behavior where people are not the right. best judge of that right. had too much to drink. Yep. So you lose your ability to know that you're sleepy. One of my favorite studies was looking, um, comparing the cognitive ability of people who had gone a couple days without any sleep whatsoever, but before that were well rested, with people who are chronically getting about four to five hours a night for two weeks. Their performance, whether it's two straight days without sleep or two weeks of four to six hours of sleep was the equivalent. Both performances were abysmal, frankly. But the people who were chronically insufficiently um, kind of sleep deprived didn't realize they were sleepy. Wow. Yeah. That describes some people I work with. <laughs> yeah. So I mentioned the reaction type test. You can get even more robust results from what's called a, a choice reaction test. So a reaction te- um, time test is just you see a light, you press a button. A choice reaction is you see maybe two different types of stimuli and you have to press different buttons depending on what they are. That where you have to make a, a split second decision, which perhaps is done by police officers in the call of duty, is something that you um, is really impaired by sleep deprivation. Wow, that's that's. I, I eventually want to get to talking about how sleep affects the mind and the body mm-hmm. and why sleep's important. And we're going to talk about some sleep hygiene, if we can use that term, and yep. do's and don'ts. But what you just brought up is a reminder of something that I heard where um, sleep can cause people actually to be more volatile mm. and, um, you know, assess threat differently. Yes. And maybe you don't even know why... Uh, you just your mind senses trouble yes and maybe the trouble is real and in the environment or maybe you're just sleep deprived and the mind is unable to differentiate that correct and if we go back to evolutionary kind of thinking it it sort of makes sense for prolonged sleep deprivation to put you into a state where you are sort of looking for stressors. You're, you're thinking that the world is a scarier, more dangerous place to be in. Because if we're sleep deprived, if we're giving up something that we need for life pretty regularly, it must be because there's a tiger. It must be because there's a forest fire. It must be some sort of important reason that's keeping you from doing something that your body needs to live. So to compensate, the body increases your sympathetic nervous system. So you get more more um, stressed you see the world through a more dangerous lens Um, you even show up as more kind of anxious and paranoid um, on those sort of like personality traits Um, depressed paranoid anxious angry and um, and sometimes increased risk-taking behavior too that's remarkable and that is so significant for public safety workers yeah, but again, if if it were sort of if you were living in a really chaotic war type situation, those would be protective responses. But we're not, so those those responses aren't protective anymore. I'm so glad you said that because that reminds a lot of the things that distress us are there for good reason, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, they were, they're designed into us, uh, but they're, they can be problematic. Mm-hmm. So we have to know what we're working with. So let's tell me a little bit about um, why sleep is important. Mm. What, what happens? Oh, I, how long do you have? I love talking about why sleep is Talk important. super fast. No, I'm just Yeah, talking. I'll use a lot of big words all at once. Um, so sleep is, is necessary for life. I'll start there. You cannot live with total sleep deprivation. I've heard in some countries a long time ago it was a form of capital punishment. Um, Lots of military still use that as a form of advanced interrogation. It's pain-free, sort of, um, but it really just kind of withers down your emotional state and your mental state. So um, sleep is required for life, both non-REM and REM sleep. Those are the sort of two big stages of sleep. Our body during sleep does things that are incompatible with wakefulness. They can only happen during sleep. So a lot of that is going to be sort of bodily repair. So increasing hormone production um, that kind of, you know, keeps your body working, keeps, keeps the pipes moving along. And I don't know how graphic to get here about the digestive system, but just keeps things moving along. I'll put it that way. Um, Most of sleep is for the brain though, right? And um, it's recently discovered in mammals that during slow wave sleep, our brain cells shrink 
like 60% and cerebral spinal fluid increases and sort of bathes the spaces between brain cells. So this is a process that happens when the brain slows down in the deepest part of sleep and it washes away cellular waste, metabolic waste, like beta amyloid, which builds up in Alzheimer's disease, right? So during sleep, it's basically like our brain is getting this nice, literally a detox bath. That's one thing. I could keep going. Keep going. Okay. Um, So there's that sort of cleaning or cleansing of the brain, which is especially important if you have sort of uh, brain injury. So repetitive concussion, head hitting, you know, I can imagine a lot of situations in which you brain gets jostled around um so that stage of sleep is really important there it's important for also um developmentally so our brains kind of keep developing into our 20s so there's a lot of like myelin which is a wrapper around the axons that make messages go more quickly that happens um is increased during sleep so if you have a 22 year old um I don't know how old, who's the youngest police officer? How young can he be? Um, that's a dang good question. I mean, um, I suppose that we have officers that start on the department are between 22 and 25 sometimes. Yep, so that's still three years of continuing brain myelination and development. It's not really common, but it, I'm sure that it occurs. Yeah, so those folks might need extra sleep just for the continued development. And sleep is also really important for um, our brain to sort of practice new ideas and sort through problem solving and sort of emotionally balance. I know there's a, a lot of ideas in there, but during REM sleep is was when we're dreaming, our brain kind of runs through what we've done in the day, right? So we might see day residue pop up of, oh, that shirt, that person, that clock, whatever it is popping up. And it sorts out, do I need to remember this or do I need to forget this? Now, what is one of my favorite studies is if you look at soldiers who are deployed to battle, one of the strongest predictors of who gets PTSD is how well they slept beforehand. If you are a good sleeper, you are less likely to develop PTSD because your brain is better able to be like, whoa, that's a memory I do not want to revisit pretty regularly. Let's put that in the dump file or let's process that. Whereas if you are waking up a lot during your sleep, um, you're, you you kind of get stuck in there and that, that memory becomes a lot more salient and strong and reappears and reappears and reappears. So sleep is really a good way to kind of forget that embarrassing event you did in ninth grade that everybody is still talking about. It's a, it's a way to kind of file away what you don't want and also remember and practice what you do want to remember. So is pruning? Is that what? Yeah. So synaptic pruning. So that's um, like rats learning a maze, like go left, go right during the day when they sleep, their brains will do the exact same pattern of left, right, up, down, down. So we're kind of practicing I study during the day, I really make a lot of those synaptic changes during sleep. So, so I, I want to get away from the notion that sleep is kind of wasted time or just off time. Sleep is a very busy time in the brain for doing a lot of important things for daily function. So in some ways, our brain is actually more active. Right. And there's a lot more going on. Right. And, um, you know, you've heard of people that have boasted of their whole careers, apparently, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher apparently were boasted that they, they slept very little and get by with very little sleep. Mm-hmm. And maybe they paid a consequence. For maybe that. so. Hugo Chavez was another four-hour sleeper, 25 cups a day of coffee, died <laughs> in his, I think, early 50s. Wow. Um, so I know that you, uh, I forget the name of the book, Why We Sleep, mm-hmm. who's the author. He Matt Walker. Yeah, yeah. he says... Um, Apparently, it just shortens your life and makes gives you uh, less lack of sleep. Is that true? Yep. Uh, but I, I want to kind of caution because here we are. We have a 20% of our workforce to shift workers. And it always breaks my heart when I give a talk and then a shift worker comes up and is like, is it true that it shortens your life? So I want to make sure that that's based on on averages overall. That's not necessarily you you your life might be shortened but if we look by population night shift workers do die earlier than um day shift workers well well done and i appreciate that 
at the same time, we can go, hey, uh, this is important, make it a priority, and you, it, it does not come without consequences, ignoring this fundamental health. Right, right. And then there's ways that we can do shift work so it's less harmful yeah. um, and kind of uh, think through that. But. So let's talk, can we switch to... Um, just some sleep hygiene. If, oh, have sure. Do you use that term? Is that a term? You yep. Use? Oh, although there's a debate in the community whether to still use it or if it sounds too much like feminine hygiene. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so basic sleep behavior. So what? Okay, what do you like to? What? How do you like to? I don't know. Um, I think I usually say, "What's your sleep environment and what are your sleep behaviors like?" Oh, I like that because it's so kind of uh, directed and and what's yeah. that called? Where you kind of can focus on an activity yeah it's, it's like things that you can control that's right. what i consider sleep hygiene to be things that are behaviors that you can do to that either makes your sleep worse or better so let's besides making it a priority mm-hmm. what do you, how do you want to address that do you want to talk about environment first and then behavior second or how how do you like to talk about that um let's do then, let's do an environment and, first and then we'll come and we'll also talk about shift work okay but we can skip that we can just right. talk in general first all right so your sleep environment is best when you, it is cold and dark and quiet like a cave right so a, a lot of us don't have that naturally in our homes i live on a busy street that's by a fire station so i have to kind of give an artificial quiet with white noise so we have like a rainstorm and and fire crackling noise app that's playing in our bedroom all through the night so it's kind of that when i hear oh <laughs> um when i hear uh the traffic from the bars getting out or something i won't hear it if i have that white noise machine on the cold is pretty important too you can have as many blankets and woolen pajamas and heated blanket if you want but having a cold room helps your body sort of stay tucked in bed and dark is really important as well and if you can't get it super dark with dark shades um, or room darkening shades, or uh, you can do an eye mask if, if you don't mind the feel of it. So that's um, the physical environment. But you also need it to be sort of uninterrupted and also a place that you feel safe, right? So those are, uh, those can get tricky, right? So an uninterrupted, if you have kids, <laughs> kids can wake you up at night. So um part of kind of what we do is stressing the importance of parents of saying like you need to make sure the kids don't wake us up there are different ways you can kind of manage the kid behavior but if the kids are messing up your sleep nobody is doing better in in the family dynamic yeah um not a kid but some people sleep with their pets right and there's actually been a a study done with like a doggy fitbit to look at the dog sleep the owner's sleep and it's um some people sleep better with their animals and some people don't. So that's kind of, <laughs> that's almost all of I say as a psychologist. Is it, is it working for you? If so, I'm not too worried about it. I'd love um, to see a dog with a Little watch. doggy. Yeah. Or I suppose you could put it on their tail. It's, uh, yeah, it's mostly on their collar. But the little, oh, their collar. <laughs> um, but so the, the, if you, I mean, you would know if your dog is waking you up or making it hard for you to get the sleep you need. Yeah. I want to talk about sleep divorces. Um, it sounds worse than it is, but more and more couples are saying, I like it with a different sleep environment than you like it. And um, some people say that sleeping in different bedrooms is saving the marriage, right? So kind of making sure that both partners get the sleep they need in the environment that they need can be really helpful. And it's not it's not associated with um, lowered relationship satisfaction. So when my husband and I were going through the early part of kids and sleep, we sort of had, I think we had three different rooms with queen beds. Yeah, so we did, we did a lot of bopping around. So at least one grown up was getting a full, like couple cycles of REM a night. That, that I know people that do that. They have like a guest room where, um, isn't it true if you're having trouble sleeping, you're, rather than spend a lot of time in that space having trouble, Mm-hmm. which then you associate it with worry or trouble. It's good to get up, do some light stretching, maybe read a, a book in low light Yep, and go to another room. You've got that exactly right. Or you can go back to your own room when you feel quiet, but some people like to kind of transition to a different room. Yeah. And sometimes if you're looking at your partner kind of happily <laughs> snoring away, you can just yeah. get, I don't know, a little jealous or envious or angry. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so you said the environment. Cold, dark, and quiet. And there's one more thing about the environment I want to mention is that the bedroom should only be used for sleep and other traditional bedroom activities. Right. Um, it shouldn't be where you're watching TV. It shouldn't be where you're fighting about taxes. It shouldn't be where you've got a pile of laundry you need to do. It should just be a, like a, a really calm, quiet place. The way um, U.S. households design their bedrooms always seems backwards to me because the master bedroom is so huge, so full of stuff, when really just kind of a, a cave, would be a, nice. cave, a little attic, sleep space is, yeah. is all you need. Very interesting. Okay, so those are good. Uh, anything else on that environment? How, oh, I said feeling safe. Um, yeah. That's going to be maybe more of a psychological um, thing or behavior that we can talk about. Yeah, okay. Yep. Is that is a good spot now, or do you want to talk about behaviors? Where would that fit in? Well, let me go back. Let me let me talk. Okay, I can start talking about behaviors. So one thing that r- constantly kind of is a challenge for a lot of people to get to sleep is the importance of transitioning or relaxing into sleep, right? So you can't go from stressing about your days, stressing out the kids, having kind of, you know, you can't be going from quick, 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 straight to sleep. You need to have some sort of intentional, relaxing, wind-down ritual. And just like little kids do better with like a story, a bath, a massage, a lullaby, and you're out, the same sort of routine gives our bodies the chance to know like, okay, this is sleep time. So having, and it doesn't have to be... um what I mentioned, but you know, reading in low light, listening to a, a podcast in low light, uh, having a hot shower, doing some stretches, doing some mindfulness or meditation or prayer or gratitude or doing a Sudoku, just like something that tells your mind you, you're done with worrying for today. You are safe. You are warm. Now is the time to relax to sleep. Mm. And you know, another, well, I guess the way I talk about it in the book is treat yourself like you are a child. You know, yeah. To do that, some of those rituals. You mentioned the word worry. Got any advice for people that uh, ruminate or worry? Yes, and it's so hard because... Especially the small hours of the night where you can feel more frightened. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, um, because when we are sleep-deprived or insufficient, we have that that negative lens that we're seeing the world through, and we're more prone to worry. So some people in, um, respond well to just kind of making lists of, like, um, here's the top three things I'm worried about. Here's three strategies I'm going to use to address them tomorrow. Here's three things I'm grateful for today. Done. Right? So you have what I'm worried about, what I'm going to do about it, what I'm glad about in life. And so that is supposed to kind of get your brain to say it's on the paper. I can relax. I don't have to think about that. Some people are like, don't stop at three, though. (laughs) And that list making just goes on and on and on. So if you're one of those, you need a different strategy. Um. If you are, I think that mindfulness and breathing can be really good. The diaphragm is, is I think, the only muscle that can be controlled autonomically as well as intentionally, right? So if you're really focusing on your breathing, you're really trying to do a pattern of like six breaths or six seconds in, an eight-second hold, a 12-second exhale, that takes a lot of mental effort. And if you're concentrating on that, you can't be thinking about other things you're worried about. So that's one of the kind of reasons that breathing techniques can help you get to sleep. Nice. What other behaviors? Um, I <laughs> This is sort of the lazy way out, but I like a good distraction. So on days that I'm just kind of stressing, I'll just listen to, I like, um, I like literature podcasts. So if somebody has a 40-minute short story, I'll just put that on and... Huh get lost in the short story when I'm feeling too lazy to do gratitude. <laughs> um, that's good. I, I, you, I even mentioned prayer, which um, I like that because I, my wife laughs when I tell this, but I was well into adulthood when I realized that not everyone said prayers before they went to bed. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, just the kind of whole ritual I've had my whole life and also kind of maybe that's how you manage some of, uh, you know, how you kind of you know, um, set a, uh, what do you call it? An end part of your day. You know, right. Ritual. Yeah. Um, I also thought about lists too, is sometimes, um, what you were describing was pretty kind of strategic, but sometimes people are just like, I can't forget this. I can't forget that. And just to simply write them down, if that helps, just mm-hmm. send it like, uh, so you'll, so you don't have to try to keep it in your forebrain. 
How about how about watching a lot of people watch TV? Um, that's a tricky one. The strict sleep people will say that is bad because three reasons. One, the light is getting into your eyes and it's often bright light, which tells your brain it's not time for bed. The brain needs dark. So you can't really do that in low light. The second reason is just time displacement. Like if you're watching TV, you might be watching a 30 minute episode and then the second one and then the season. So before you know it, it's more time has passed than you think. And then the third reason is often TV can be it's TV has gotten really good since I was a kid. Like the quality of it, it can leave you thinking and emotional and, and, and aroused. And it's, it's not necessarily relaxing. So if you're going to use TV and it works for you, I'm okay with it. I just want it to be on a timer. So it automatically goes off. Best practices would say, don't watch TV as mm-hmm. a way to get to bed. Right. And even that light thing, you, you had mentioned it. I mean, it's so remarkable how many objects have lights, even when they're turned mm-hmm. off. And I was talking to a cop the other day, and he, and he was just describing his, he's a midnighter, I meaning he works overnights, and he's got a very strict routine. Plus, he has little kids. But I was just so impressed by how dedicated he was to it. And he was very proud. He said, he said I get seven hours of sleep every day when yeah. he comes to work. And um, which is interesting, because uh, I, I've worked every shift there is and I even worked 24-hour shifts for a while when I was on a t- private ambulance service and um, but when I got into policing I got into a little late my kids were mostly grown and I went to work well rested well fed it made all the difference in my enjoyment of the work in my work I think my productivity mm-hmm. uh, and, and outlook and all that but the light thing is really interesting because um, sometimes you have to literally go around and tape over yep and also uh but i but and i oh i know what i was gonna say he said he could just feel a little bit of light you know mm-hmm. accidentally and it's just like it wakes up his brain mm-hmm. the, this is what i did my dissertation on so i get very excited about this part but the the neurons from the eyes project to about 13 different areas in the brain only one of those areas does conscious visual perception of what we're looking at. So there's another 12 or so that do unconscious responses to light. Like, hey, get stressed. Hey, wake up. Hey, let's change your hormones. So there's just a lot of sort of below the radar responses to light that oh. we're not thinking about. Okay. Anything else about the environment or the um, behaviors? Behavior. Okay, so there's a lot more behaviors. So we talked about kind of relaxing to get into sleep. I want to say the consistency of the schedule is is important, and we can come back to that when we talk about shift work and do you know do you stay on your same shift when you have days off or not. Um, I want to talk about uh, drugs and alcohol and supplements. A lot of those things can really mess up sleep. So caffeine. The half-life of caffeine is about six hours. It's longer if you're a woman in many situations, hormonally. Um, but that's that's a lot of time for caffeine to sit in your system. And I just read a study this morning that was published that uh, one out of five uh, police officers use sleep aids to get to sleep, so um, either prescription or non-prescription and then i think one out of five use stimulants or high high levels of caffeine to stay awake Mm -hmm. and neither of those are good for sleep right so could you is if you are i hate to think i think of it as propping yourself up with it you know Mm -hmm. like energy drinks but is there such thing as a strategic use of caffeine absolutely so um and i am a caffeine drinker i do about 200 to 300 milligrams every day that's about two cups for those of you who are counting but i do them in the morning um i don't usually do coffee afternoon because i find it harder to get to sleep at my natural bedtime which is 10. Um, so you can do it i want to tell you about a coffee nap so this is what I would recommend if you really need to be alert for the next four or six hours. So drink a cup of coffee, then take a nap. So Mm. the coffee is going to hit your system about 20, 30 minutes later. And in that time you've had a nap. So you have the kind of the refreshing effects of a nap. Oh, wow. So I I think we should just, I've got a, on the sleep hygiene, we, we, um, I have a list in my book. Yeah, the lists are accessible. Uh, you basically describe them, but for the shift work, um, there's lists related to that as well. And um, 
the napping strate- strategic. I don't know if I want to use that word again, but napping as well. Yeah, um, is you can be very purposeful about that because if you are on an um, an unusual shift or work nights or whatever, you're going to have to do what you can with what you have. Yep. And try to deal as effectively as you can, which includes napping. And I've never heard that about the the coffee nap. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A med student taught that to me. Uh, <laughs> um, and police officers can look into even agencies that have um, p- permitted people to have um, uh, nap. You know, in, in at, at work, literally. Right, and I have talked to a couple agencies that are moving to having. Um, that built in so maybe like a meditation room um i think there's still such a stigma against napping that's problematic if i could right. wave my magic wand and fix that i think that would be great but if you can build um a sort of a place for relaxation meditation reflection grief whatever it is where yeah. it's quiet and dark and people can just stretch out for 20 minutes that would do so much good for people's alertness well, i think it just historically uh, in policing, people would abuse that. Like they would act, cops would actually sleep on duty because they um, policing was very different. They mm-hmm. had a different attitude about it, uh, more just reactionary only. So I think sometimes people associate with a dereliction of duty appropriately. But there's also uh, the necessity of in a ten. Some cops work twelve-hour shifts, which mm-hmm. is, as you may well know. Um, absolutely necessary my brother's a retired police officer and uh, he said uh, he worked nights he'd get so exhausted that he'd go into the dispatch center and sometimes put his head down on the table because he knew the dispatcher would be able to say hey john mm-hmm. i'm calling you that kind of thing just yep. to survive i even heard of these are cops secrets where uh well i won't say it because it could put a cop at risk but um but anyway but the the, cops had tricks yeah so i mean i've heard of some um some precincts kind of asking for another hour of work or maybe half hour work that they're paid but their expectation is that they'd spend at at least 30 minutes of that extra work either working out meditating or napping so it's doing something helpful so that's on site so they had a gym on site they had a place to nap they had a reflection room so doing something wellness associated if you and it it just makes such a big difference in how people feel and behave and can react i i don't think it's dereliction of duty right great um what else okay so i guess when we're talking about sleep i want to think about three things for getting good sleep one is that you're getting enough and we'll talk about how many hours of sleep that you need two is that it's as consistent as possible so the same type of schedule which will get us into shift work and three, that it's good quality. We talked a little bit about the good quality with a good environment, but I just wanted to make sure that people who are struggling and feel like I don't feel rested after my sleep, talk to their physician. They might have any number of sleep disorders, probably do. Um, I think one study I looked at where at least one in three um, police officers needed a sleep study or to talk to a sleep um Um, health professional based on their screening results for either shift work sleep disorder, sleep apnea, insomnia, or restless legs. Those are the kind of the big four where you could get treatment and have your life improve. So that's sleep quality is you want to make sure that the sleep you're getting isn't interrupted by anything physiological. That brings us back to point number one, which was how much sleep do you need? Most humans need between seven and nine hours of sleep right? That's adults, I should say. Most adults are going to be seven to nine. You can tell how much sleep you need by you go to bed and sleep until you're done sleeping. That's how much sleep you need. So most of us, that's why I say most of us are really sleep deprived because if we're using alarm clocks to wake up, our body isn't getting the sleep that we need. Um, I realize that there's a lot of external circumstances that are going to make it hard to get that seven to nine in a row. And that's where strategic napping is going to be really important to do. So roughly, if you can get at least five of these one and a half hour cycles in, I would prefer them all at once. But if you, you know, can do, I don't know, five hours, six hours here, and then three hours in a nap later, that's going to be better than nothing better than no nap got it again do what you can with what you got yep what about you said the schedule is this giving it away to just the importance of a consistent wake time 
Yep, consistent wake time and bedtime. So your body, um, the circadian rhythm is basically genetically encoded. It's when does your body want to wake up based on the first light of day or first light that we see. And that is in our genes. You can't change it. You can't make a night person into a morning person. Um, the We can adjust. Like if you go to Europe, you can change but you're still going to be responding to, I like to wake up with the dawn or I like to wake up two hours after dawn. It'll just be European time dawn. Hmm. So is there, um, you said night person, night day person, person, day person and in the middle. So most of us are in the middle. Um, which is what a day person or a late day person? Or well, I would say a day person. So our early morning bird, early bird oh, okay, I see. is going to be somebody who tends to wake up before the dawn or with dawn and just feel really well rested. And say, um, if that person needs to spend an extra hour awake, it would be much easier for them to wake up an hour earlier than to stay up an hour later. Mm -hmm. So that's a morning person. I'm one of those. Uh, We're the um, annoying people that are perky and pokey and want to do stuff in the morning. The night people are kind of the opposite. Like waking up early is going to be really hard for them, but they can easily add another two, three hours into their evening hours and not feel the effects. So probably no surprise, the people who are morning people find early morning shifts easier. The people who are night owls tend to be the um, overnighters have an easier response to do that. Nice. All right. What did we miss on that? those lists or those thoughts, those areas? I would say with respect to shift work, if you can kind of keep your same schedule all the time, that's better. So you don't want to, if you work overnights, you kind of want to continue an overnight pattern on your days off. Yeah. I often ask officers that. What do they do for, I mean, the guys that work day shifts, they have to get up early. Mm-hmm. The people that work, the cops that work afternoons, you know, sometimes that means getting off at midnight or two in the morning. So maybe they alter their schedule to their family when they, but the people that work overnights, often I'll ask them, what do you do? Do you switch your schedule back to, and I get a variety of answers, but most of them switch back to whatever their family's doing. I know, and there's a lot of social pressure to do that, but strictly from a sleep perspective, that's not the wisest thing. Um, our, like 5 to 10% of the genes that our body produces are under a circadian rhythm. So we want to kind of keep that approximately the same. Yeah. So did you did you finish on the circadian rhythm stuff? So uh, circadian rhythm, there's rhythms in our body that kind of tell us when we want to wake up, when we want to go to bed. So that's in your cortisol, your stress hormone, your growth hormone, your appetite hormones. It's in your body temperature. So your body will wake itself up before we our brain wakes up with this kind of circadian rhythm. And it'll also help us get ready to get to bed. So shift work sleep disorder is basically you feel sleepy when it's your time to work. And when it's your time to sleep, you feel awake or have insomnia. And if you if that describes you, please talk to a sleep physician. There's ways that you can help manage that with strategic napping and with certain medications as well. So well, how do things, when you think of um, just good sleep behavior and environment, how are things, what are additional comments can we make for people that do shift work? How about light management? Yeah, light management is going to be huge. So you want to have some bright lights as you're starting your work shift. So um, you want to see those blue lights. You want to see lights that are going to keep you awake. Um, So so literally, if you get up, it's dark out. You want to, yeah. Expose yourself. Yeah, there's even some, um, I've seen it called a photon shower in some airports for pilots to walk into where it's just this like big bay of, bright blue lights. Um, They have the space station actually has three different sets of lights. They've got sort of middle of the road working white lights. They have really low red light for sleeping. And then they have the blue lights for, uh uh-oh, we got to get all hands on board, wake up everybody. Now you can reverse that. um, When you drive home. Yeah, because I know, I mean, that's, I've worked overnights. It's brutal to yeah. to have the sun coming up yep. and still be yep. in, in the middle uniform, of the summer. Still yeah, working. So that's when you can have those blue light blocking orange goggles um, to for the drive home from work. Right, and then so that you can still see, but you're not getting the blue rays that tell your hypothalamus it's wake up time. Huh. It's um, and also if you're doing the overnight, I would strongly advocate that you would get um, maybe a, a half hour break in between for a refresher nap. 
Oh, during the tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think uh, people do that. I hope they are. Yeah. I hope they're finding a way to do that, do it safely. And, mm-hmm. and uh, cops can hopefully figure that out and agencies can support that process. Yes. Okay. What, what, uh, did we talk about alcohol? We have not. And alcohol is problematic for sleep in a number of different ways. Because I, I happen to know that I get it. You got to get some sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does help people fall asleep. But it doesn't help them stay asleep. Right. And it doesn't help them get REM sleep. So alcohol is a depressant. Our brain needs to be able to kind of ramp up during REM sleep when we have dreaming. So if you go to bed with alcohol in your system, you're not going to get the same what's called sleep architecture. You're not going to get the same sort of ratio of non-REM to REM sleep. So um, (laughs) this is a formula. If you you drink, which many of us do, um, you want to have one drink. Your body needs at least one hour to process every drink before bed. So... A beer with dinner, two beers with dinner, and you go to sleep three hours later, I'm not worried about. I'm worried about the person who drinks to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. I'm worried about the person, obviously, who has problematic drinking behaviors, but one or two at dinner isn't an issue. Yeah, we worry about them at at multiple levels. (laughs) One of the things that people describe when they are successful in recovery is the return of good sleep. Yes. It can be pretty dramatic for people. Yeah, and for um, people who are newly sober, one of the best predictors of, of how they're going to do and if they maintain their sobriety or relapse is whether they can sleep without their drug of choice. Because hmm. you can get dependent on the alcohol or the sedatives to fall asleep. So let me just do a quick commercial. Um, uh, if, if you're interested, if you enjoyed this podcast... Uh, or if you're interested in my book, you can go to goodcopgoodcop.com. Uh, uh, the book is Good Cop, Good Cop, uh, Get Healthy, Stay Healthy Guide for Lo- uh, Law Enforcement. The podcast is Cop Think Podcast. Um, I'm doing this kind of a weird order, but the, the book can be ordered on Amazon or through the website. Um, let me ask you, I want to tell you something that uh, is really interesting in police work is the public will say to cops be safe be safe and I think it's a form of affection sometimes just store people and people you interact with be safe officer be safe and cops will say it to each other be safe and I think it's a reminder to be vigilant mm-hmm. um, when I was a patrol supervisor um, I always thought to the officers because you think about officers differently when you supervise them than when you are one of them so to speak you're out in patrol I always thought you know I'm not so sure be safe is what I'm looking for I'd rather you have you be alert mm. and and I've often thought I've at least asked my officers uh, maybe new officers when you hear people say to you be safe you know recognize it for what it is sometimes it's affection sometimes it's a reminder to be vigilant but quickly convert that in your brain to be alert mm. and I don't have to ask you, what is the best way to be alert in your work environment? (laughs) To have a good eight hours of sleep banked yeah, and to be refreshed. Uh, Yeah, that's the best way to remain alert. Rest and recovery, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, What did did I fail to ask you about that you thought maybe we would talk about? Are people interested in sleep and appetite and weight gain and um, food choices? Is that something? So I'll, I'll just lay this research out there this is going to be particularly important for people working overnight um, when we are kind of going against our body's natural rhythm and staying up late at night and when we're not getting enough sleep our body thinks we're in that emergency zone where we're needing to fight a tiger fight a forest fighter and that we need more snacks basically mm-hmm. so we try to put on weight when we are sleep deprived So the way that happens is our body changes our metabolism to make us want another 800 to 1,000 calories every day. And the food that we want to eat when we're sleep deprived is junk crap food. It's it's not like grilled chicken salad or anything. It's (laughs) usually pizza or sweet stuff or any kind of nutrient-rich, quick, throw-it-down-the-hatch kind of food. And that's what food is also available in the middle of the night. So um, often that can be a wake-up call for people who are struggling with weight gain. Another thing that it does for you, this prolonged sleep deprivation or insufficient sleep, is it slows down your metabolism. So you're not burning as much um, 
fuel either. Your your body temperature goes down a few cranks so that uh, you're, you're saving your energy. You're more likely to store fat and you're more likely to burn muscle rather than fat if you are exercising more than you're bringing in. So that together can be one of the reasons that we also have shift workers more likely to develop obesity, more likely to develop heart, um, cardiac arrhythmias and heart attacks and basically metabolic syndrome. You mentioned since you brought up exercise, if you had a choice for health between an extra hour of sleep or getting to the gym to work out, what do you think is better for your health? I Okay, so I usually work with college students, and here I say sleep hands down because college students tend to be pretty active anyway. I guess um, I would ask, how much sleep are you getting? Are you getting at least seven hours? If so, sure. And are you sedentary? So if you're getting seven hours and you're sedentary, maybe the exercise is going to be more. If you're not sedentary and you're getting less than seven, you got to sleep. And my trainer said that too, so it's for (laughs) somebody who exercises for a living. What else? What else do you want to tell us? Um, let's see. Sleep and emotional state. Um, just want to kind of emphasize again, you see the world through a a more dangerous and ominous and depressed and stressful lens. And you have less, less capacity for problem solving when you're sleep deprived. So the story often tells is a new parent. I was driving home in a snowstorm, low on gas, and I couldn't find my keys. My baby was in the back of the car. Okay, you probably already figure out where the keys are. But um, so at this point, I'm crying. I'm in my car in my driveway, thinking that we're going to freeze to death, not figuring out that the keys were in the ignition. But this is in a state of that early baby sleep deprived zone. But I think that's kind of emphasizes how quickly you go to worst case scenario and how poor you are at creative problem solving. You know, you said um, a couple things too. You mentioned um, post-traumatic stress disorder. As sleep as being what I like to think of as a protective mechanism, a protective factor. So we see that, but what about the connection between poor mental health and sleep? Yep, there's no mental disorder that doesn't show up in sleep in some way, right? So in depression, you have a change in sort of the sleep patterns between deep sleep and REM sleep. In anxiety, you have a lot more um, nightmares that can wake you up, and you have a lot more just waking up in general, and it takes a longer time to fall asleep. But what a lot of people don't know is that good sleep can be protective against developing these disorders. So if you're prone to them, sleep is one of the best things you can do to modify and and lead for healthier outcomes. Wow. So this is a podcast that I don't think I've ever felt like, wow, there's so much. I hope we're covering the things that need to be covered. How can people, um, one, where do you direct people? if they want to learn more or read more or study more or watch a video of on this topic. There's a lot of great um, TED Talks out there on sleep and sleep health. I don't think I want to mention pretty much all the ones I've seen have been good. So if you just TED Talk sleep, you'll find some. Um, And there's also a lot of research studies. I would just encourage people who have questions about the sleep to make sure that's part of their wellness conversation with their primary caregiver and get further support they need if they feel like their sleep isn't um, giving them the restoration that they need. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because um, if people aren't feeling well-rested or there might be a problem, one is to look at the environment, look at their behavior, look at their commitment to it. Mm Mm-hmm. But also consider that there may be a diagnosable problem. There's plenty of people that are going around with diagnosable sleep disorders or whatever that um, could benefit from that. Um, one thing is uh, if people wanted to contact you, what, what are you willing to tell us? Oh, sure. Um, my name is Raxian Pritchard. I'm at the University of St. Thomas. So if you look up those two, my email should be easily findable. But it's Pritchard. There's no T, P-R-I-C-H-A-R-D, at sttomas.edu. So I do consulting um, and talk to different organizations about ways that they can improve their their functionality through thinking about sleep education and their policies. Well, I did a, um, I think we, one first time we worked together uh, was a, a, a Blue Watch um, wellness training that I did, and I, you came and talked about sleep, and it was one of the most 
on popular topics. Plus, you were really funny. <laughs> oh my God, you were fun, and you were animated, and you were so comfortable with that audience. So anybody, uh, I would highly recommend you for that. Um, I'm gonna at the at the front of my book. I I have this quote that I like, and interestingly, it involves sleep. Um, it says. Uh, Maybe you've heard this. We sleep peacefully in our beds at night only because rough men, and I add, and women stand ready to do violence on our behalf. And the reason I bring that up is that people sleep better at night because police officers are out roaming around, uh, willing to confront troublemakers and uh, watch out for trouble so people can rest comfortably in their beds at night. So it's reasonable that police officers recognize that's a service they do to, to to others, but they have to give that back to themselves. Any other thoughts about this topic? Yeah, I did. always feel so grateful when I think about on holidays and overnights, when I think about all the people in the community that are working around the clock to keep people safe and whole and functional. So I just want to thank you for that service. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if, if this makes sense, but keep going back to evolution. Um, in a community, it would make sense for somebody to be awake pretty much at all time. Your community would be safer if there were those few people that um, were extreme night owls, extreme morning people, people that woke up at the sound of, a, a, I guess, a bird calling or something. That just makes for a safer community. So I think there's some sort of... a. Uh, over-representation of those easily startled or easily aroused by external environments to sleep or to the um, sort of police profession. I actually think it, we could think of it as the origin of policing, mm -hmm. that when people, when groups got big enough uh, that they needed someone to stand watch while the others um, slept mm -hmm. to protect them. And that's actually why I call my training Blue Watch, because it has to do with that whole standing watch. Mm -hmm. uh, a certain group of people you know, take on that role. So, yep. You just got to make sure you're rested and have the time, the energy and reserve to be able to do that. This is great. Well, really, really appreciate you coming. Um, I hope we covered everything you were hoping to share with us. Um, I bet we missed some stuff, but <laughs> I think we hit the most important stuff. Excellent. Thank you for having me. 